listening to Unjiggered, a bartender podcast where we interview highly successful bartenders about their careers, lives, and the passion of bartending. We had a chance to catch up with Jesse Vida, the head bartender at the acclaimed Atlas Bar here in Singapore, and chatted to him about his first bar backing shift, his approach to management, and of course, his time with Blacktail and Dead Rabbit. With this podcast, we want to peel back the mask and discover just how the greats really became the greats. So enjoy our chat with Jesse. Hello, my name is Jesse Vita, and I'm the head bartender of Atlas Singapore. Thank you for finding the time to coming over. Uh, I just brought you to the warmest room in the planet, but air conditioning <laughs> should kick in soon. So how's Singapore treating you so far? Singapore has been good to me. Uh, it's been a nice shift in lifestyle coming from New York. I'm living in Brooklyn. I was out there for the last six and a half years, basically, and it was an amazing place, an amazing time, great for my career, but definitely not uh, not always the most pleasant day-to-day lifestyle in New York. It's just tough, tough place to live in a lot of ways, but uh, yeah, I mean, coming out here, it's it's great. I have a similar, if not even more challenging, you know, work situation. So that part of me is very satisfied and challenged. You know, it's sunny every day and it's warm and I got a nice, nice little apartment <laughs> with like a, a pool and a gym and everything. The kind of amenities you don't really get where I was just living the last place. And it's just it's exciting, exciting time to be in this part of the world and just exciting as someone from North America to be living in Southeast Asia now. Talk to us a little bit about how you decided that bartending was the right career for you. When did you start bartending? What was your first bar job? My first bar job was in 2007. Yeah, so I guess yeah, I've been been in the game, put my put my over 10 years in now. And yeah, I kind of stumbled into it actually. Uh, my cousin was the one who really forced my hand into it. I was I was in college or university and I was working in in the shopping mall, just some random job just to pay the bills, you know. I was broke, 20-year-old kid and um my cousin started bar backing at a kind of jazz club cocktail bar in San Francisco, where I'm from. And he just kind of kept pushing it on me. He was like, you should try this. You should try this. I think you'd like it. I think you really like it. You know, you have like a fitting personality for it and all that. And I kind of just was like, push it to the side. You know, I didn't, at that point, I didn't know anything or have any passion for like cocktails or spirits. All I knew was how to get, you know, wasted with my friends <laughs> on the weekend or, or weekday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, and yeah, man, I, I ended up showing up for a trial shift when and like I just had no idea what I was doing. I was so lost, and you know they just kind of threw me in there. They're like, okay, like you know, go work, like figure it out, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't looked back since, really. Did you Did you like it? How was your first shift? Because my first shift was a total disaster. Yeah, <laughs> I must have um, broke like seven million glasses. <laughs> It was it was interesting. I mean, it was my first time that I'd ever shown up for a job where I wasn't just being like very specifically instructed. You know, they were just kind of like, all right, show up like black collared shirt, dark pants. I was like, okay, I can do that. Show up at, you know, this time, whatever, 3, 4 p.m. And I showed up, you know, and I was a bar back and the bartender's just like, hey, uh, go polish these glasses. I'm like, uh, okay. I go polish these glasses. And I, I remember there's this one specific thing I remember I'll never forget is someone, a server or a bartender at the time was like, hey, can you go to the back and, and restock the burgundy glasses, the wine glasses, right? And it was like a nice restaurant that like had a bar. It was a big space. And I, I, I go, you know, go into the back, back of house. And I just remember walking up to this like rack that had all these different types of wine glasses. And I was just like, what the hell is a burgundy glass? <laughs> like, <laughs> I was supposed to know which glass is what, you know, there's like, you know, of course you learn down the road, but it was just so like, I was just so out of my element. I was just like, uh, okay, like 
These all look like wine glasses to me. I see they're different shapes, but I don't know what that means. Which one was your first proper bartending job where you actually start making drinks? My first, I would say where I like cut my teeth, where I actually like properly learned how to bartend was a place called Beretta in San Francisco. Um, it was definitely one of like the influential leading cocktail bars in San Francisco back at that time in 2008. I, I was lucky because I basically got into it right when the cocktail thing was kicking off. So I, I didn't have to, you know, pay my dues at the you know chain restaurant or anything like that. Like I kind of jumped right into cocktail bars. But yeah, that I I started barbacking there. I was barbacking at both places simultaneously. But at Beretta, that's where I was going to start working brunch shifts. You know, the natural progression barback to brunch shifts. Yeah, they started training me how to properly bartend there, and that's when I really learned what different spirits were. You know, what's kind of like the proper way to balance a cocktail. I mean, obviously, it takes so many years to like really learn that. But that was the first time that it was really being like put into perspective for me. When it comes to bartending as such, what were some of the initial challenges that you had apart from the Burgundy grass? Man, everything. Everything yeah. was a challenge, you know? Like, why why is this bourbon different than that bourbon? Why is this gin different from that gin? It's like, you know, I think we take that for granted after being in the in the industry for a long time, but it's really like you gotta learn every little nuance. How to control guests, right? Like <laughs> you know, that that and just like really understanding what people want and you know some people you gotta like be a little rough and rowdy with them to kind of get them in line and they like that some people are just like want to have their own experience i mean there's so many different types and i mean i remember when i was bar backing at that place beretta this guy uh, ryan fitzgerald who now is a partner at a bar called abv in san francisco uh-huh. um had a lot of influence me at that time he was just like a super hard ass you know like he would just like bust my chops all the time and I, and I and there's certain lessons that he taught me. I remember there was a time he asked me for some bottle, you know, and this bar was busy every night. Like I would, you'd just be literally sprinting up and down stairs all night. I ever remember a kind of side tangent, but it was a, it was, it was like a cocktail bar slash pizzeria, kind of like a casual Italian place. And for dinner, you know, we could order off the menu and I would order, you know, the it was like Napolitana style pizza, uh-huh. like thin crust. And I would order a pie and I would run down and I would roll it up. And I would take it down to <laughs> like four or five bites, like chugging water in between. Like it was like the hot dog eating contest or something. And just like slam it down and run back out to service. Because it was like, you know, that was how it was. Like you just, you didn't sit down and take a 30, 40 minute break with like a glass of vino. Like you shoved food in your mouth, you kept going. But My mom would be proud of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes me happy to hear that. Um, but sorry, going back, I remember he he told me, he was like asking me to like find some bottle of mezcal, you know, on the fly. We're busy during service and I run down to the liquor room and I don't like really know what I'm looking for, but I kind of have a mental image. Can't find it. Can't find it. I go back up. I was like, uh, I think, I think we're out. I don't think we have it. And he was like, I'm pretty sure we do. And he was like, I'm going to go down there. And if I find it, <laughs> you know, it's going to be your ass. And I was just like, he goes down. I'm just up there sweating. And sure enough, he comes back with two bottles and he's like, when I tell you to look for something, you need to really look for it. And it's like, this is one of those things that at the time I was like, of course, terrified in the moment and like embarrassed. But the next time I went down to look for something, like I really looked, you know, I really scanned the entire section and like I found that I would actually find things. And it's just like, it's these little lessons, you know, you got to learn. What did you move to New York? Um, the catalyst for moving to New York was that I was, you know, a born and raised San Franciscan. I don't know if you've ever been to San Francisco, I mean, but it's, it's a yeah, beautiful place, but fairly small, you know, mm-hmm. like it's. It's it is great food and beverage there, but it's definitely more like a kind of like a mid to major market. It's not one of the major U.S. markets. And I was bartending. I was working at a good good cocktail bars. I was a good bartender, but I hadn't really taken it to the next level. I hadn't made it like 
the entirety of my lifestyle. I hadn't like fully dedicated. I'd like read some books, you know, but it was kind of one of those things where I, I went into work. I did my job. I was done. I went home, you know, like it, it wasn't all encompassing. And at that point, I had made the conscious decision that, that this was going to be my career. So I felt like I needed to change the scenery. I felt like I had to get out of that comfort zone. I felt like I needed more challenge. And I, I, had, I just made that decision in my mind that I was going to move to another city. And I was thinking either Chicago or New York. Um, I was dating a girl at the time who was also keen to do the same challenge. She was a pastry chef. And I remember we did this like three-week holiday where we went to New Orleans just for fun. And we went to New York and Chicago for a week in each city. And we came back and we were like, all right, I think New York is where we need to move to. And, and yeah, it was, it was, that's, that, that was a huge turning point in my career um, in 2011 because that's where I went all in. What were the challenges that you had moving into New York? Because it's such a big city, right? Yeah. I mean, when I moved to London, I was shocked by the amount of people that I had around me. But mm-hmm. I was also shocked about how lonely you can be at times, right? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those weird things, right? There's people yeah. all around you, but you still feel very alone. Um, felt like everything was a challenge. You know, I went there. I thought I had enough money to move to New York. <laughs> but you knew. Yeah, I was like, oh, I've saved up, you know, I've, I've saved up like $5,000 at that point. I took like a month off of work before we moved to New York, you know, whining and dining every night, going out, like seeing all our friends. Um, we go to New York and it's like, um, we didn't go there with jobs. Like we just, we totally, we just, 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 we literally got there. We were like staying on a friend's couch, looking for an apartment. And I remember we signed the lease for our apartment in Crown Heights in Brooklyn, a one bedroom apartment, pretty deep out there. And, uh, I just remember looking at my bank account after and I had like $5 in it. And I was like, <laughs> okay. I guess I got to get a job now. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't have a job? So no, I didn't have a job, man. I didn't, you know, I didn't really know anyone out there. Actually, the one kind of connection I had was Steve Schneider, who funny enough, you know, lives in Singapore. Well, lives everywhere now, yeah, but exactly. yeah. Um, Citizen of the world. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he had done a guest shift at a bar I worked at out in San Francisco, you know, now probably about 10 years ago. And so I just messaged him. I was like, hey, like looking for work. And he actually did end up like kind of like sorting out some potential leads for me. But none of those things quite worked out. And yeah, I just like I just knew I wanted to be in New York and I knew I wanted the challenge. And I kind of, you know, I was like, oh, you know, I know how to bartend, like I'll figure something out. But New York has this very big like, I don't care what you did anywhere else. You have to prove it here kind of thing. But So it's like. Definitely, you get a big slice of humble pie when you move out there. And I think it's easy, too, to go into places and think like, oh, I'm good enough to work here. But it's like, that's not what it's about. It's about just taking a step back to take two steps forward. And that's the lesson that I learned there when I first got there. So, yeah, I mean, so many challenges. I mean, from being broke to a relationship basically falling apart pretty soon after I moved there to constantly moving around to finding a job. But then, you know. The first gig I had, it was kind of just like a job that could pay the bills. And then basically that segueing to a job that had a little bit more of a, um, an interest and challenge for me in the, in the cocktail world. And so, so the first place I actually ended up at is uh, Momofuku Sambar, which is Momofuku's like the, the David Chang empire for all the foodies out there. And it was literally connected to a little bar I'd never heard of at the time, but it was called Booker and Dax, which was uh, Dave Arnold's bar. And so that ended up being a really interesting experience because I basically got the job at Sambar through a friend of a friend as these things go. And then my resume was spotted by the bar manager at Booker and Dax, who saw I had cocktail experience. And he just like walked over one day and he was like, hey, do you want to work here too? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to, you know, Um, because the the Sambar, the restaurant was just like, it was literally just like head down service, service while bartending. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I wasn't talking to guests about cocktails. It was just like shake, 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 stir, 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 get them out, get them out, like turn and burn. Um, yeah, then I started working at Booker Next, which was a really interesting experience for anyone not familiar. Um, Dave Arnold is kind of one of the, the U.S. leaders when it comes to culinary engineering used in cocktails. He worked at a, a culinary school in the engineering department for a very long time, you know, engineering background, um, kind of mad scientist. You know, the spins all and all those things come from him. I'm sure you're familiar, but just for anyone who might be listening. And yeah, so that, I mean, I, you know, I came from such a like Negroni Manhattan kind of background to go there where I'm like sticking, I'm clarifying citrus and putting things in a centrifuge. And yeah, it was, it was a great experience. Um, and then that ended up, you know, segueing me to a lot of other great bars I ended up getting to work at in New York. Your style must have changed quite drastically when you moved to New York. What do you think are the major differences in between New York and San Francisco when it comes to cocktail bars? Yeah, well, when it, the the first thing, and definitely back in that time, is that San Francisco is so so culinarily driven, um, and you get amazing ingredients, right? Like everything grows in California, so uh, your citrus is amazing and fresh. Your herbs, everything in in between. Um, so I think the approach in San Francisco tends to be a little bit more simplistic. It's a little bit more like quality of ingredient. A lot of it's like to go with food. Like a lot of the best cocktail bars in San Francisco are connected to restaurants in restaurants or serve really good food um, in New York. And of course, as everything's over, always ever expanding and changing. But definitely when I first got there, it was like the bars are the bars, you know, it was like Milk and Honey and Death and Co. And, you know, Pegu Club, all these places like some of them might serve food, but it's really about the cocktails, you know, and it's just like super classically driven, super technically driven, definitely like longer hours and more intense later nights as far as your shifts are in in new york but yeah i'd say stylistically san francisco is a little bit more simple a little bit more quality of ingredients new york's a little bit more classically driven and innovative as well and uh, the guests did you notice any difference in between the guests you serve uh the first major difference i noticed is people stopped tipping me in weed uh when i moved to new york because oh, okay. <laughs> that would happen a plus or a minus yeah, yeah. <laughs> you look exactly it. yeah <laughs> In San Francisco, that would definitely happen every once in a while. A regular would just like <laughs> hand over a little folded napkin with like <laughs> some mud in it. Um, uh, yeah, but no, I mean, not drastically different. Um, I think just in in the fact that people in the West Coast and the United States are a little bit more laid back and chill, and people in the East Coast and New York are a little bit more like intense and, and higher energy. I think that part did translate to be a little bit different. But a person who really appreciates a nice cocktail is kind of universally similar is it true that uh, in the states it's common for people to work in multiple bars at the same time very common yes and i always did that basically until i started managing i w- i always had at least two sometimes three sometimes How three different bars um well i think one you're not on a contract or anything because you're not on salary as a bartender because it's so tip driven and it's kind of like shifts are available where they're available right so oftentimes especially you want to work at like a really good bar or a place with some prestige they might have one shift open up they might have two shifts open up obviously you're going to take those shifts but you still need to work you know two or three more shifts to have an income so yeah i mean some people will do like they'll do a dive bar a couple nights a week and you know in the states basically club bartending and dive bar bartending are the most profitable type of bartending if you're a cocktail bartender you definitely love what you do you can make good money but you're not making money like club or dive bartenders are making why do you make more money in dive bar just turn and burn quick money i mean it's just like you know it's the think about the labor you're putting into a single cocktail compared to how quickly you can just pour a bunch of shots or pour a bunch of beers and like 
if you're getting tipped a dollar on every four dollar beer and you're just pouring them passing them out compared to getting two dollars on every cocktail that takes uh, you okay you know <laughs> three four minutes okay. to make like it just and and you know cocktail bars are just a little bit more in general they're a little bit more controlled and you know smaller and the ones that are a lot bigger you just have a massive amount of staff i mean that that whole like tip structure compared to salary it really now seeing both sides of it there's just like so many differences and nuances mm-hmm. it causes do you think it gave you an edge like I do. Working in dive bars and understanding this deep I, culture. And- I, I do. I think, I mean, I think ideally, like any bartender works at a total range of places, you know, like I think fine dining is something I, I would always recommend to someone very young coming up, like do fine dining for a year just because it, it like you're not going to necessarily keep all of those like super, you know, pop, prim and proper posh styles of service, but it's definitely going to give you an eye for detail. And there are going to be certain aspects of higher level of service you'll learn through it. You know, dive bartending, like, yeah, you'll learn you learn how to control a room, you know, because people will walk all over you if you're not tough in those situations. Clubs, whatever, just volume, just understanding how to control volume. And then if you end up in a place where, like, these cocktail bars, it's like having all of those edges of experience just makes you better and ready to handle any situation. Um, I would say tip culture and different. One major difference is, like, you'll see bars in the States will have much less staff than bars in Europe or bars in Singapore even because of the tip pool. Like you want to always, it encourages the people to hustle and work super hard so that they don't need like a third person on so they can make $500 that night instead of $350 that night. You know what I mean? So um, it's, it's, so it's a good and a bad thing, right? Cause sometimes like you're understaffed to a point where you're not really being able to give the service that you would like to be able to give. But the flip side of that is like everyone just like hustles, 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 works super hard where, you know, if you have a place that's like almost overstaffed, then you might have some people who are like, well, my money isn't affected by how hard I'm working. Mm -hmm. So I'll just kind of like hang out in the corner. You know what I mean? Do you miss the flexibility of working in multiple bars at the same time? Or I mean, was it more, was it flexibility or was it like more of a stressing thing? Because like you you have to find your shifts, right? Um, I. I would say maybe as a bartender, I would have missed it. But since I've been in management, it's just a totally different thing. So it's, and you know, it's like once you go to that management side, you just, it's almost like you get addicted to that headache part of it. Like that, <laughs> like now it's like, like you're still, depending on your position, but like in my position at Atlas, I still work a lot of service. Like I'm behind the bar four or five nights a week, most weeks. Um, but, you know, there's some people who move on to positions where they're just much more like creative and a director of maybe one large bar or multiple bars. But I mean, as just a bartender, it, it was nice working at multiple spaces just because it, it kind of kept everything fresh, you know, mm-hmm, like you're like course. ready to jump back to this place or that place. When did you move into management for the first time? Well, Blacktail, really. Actually, that's not totally true. I had, I had one brief stint at a bar in Queens where I was kind of like the head bartender, bar manager, if you will. But it was kind of a sinking ship. Uh, my, my friend was a partner there and I thought it had a ton of potential, which it did, but it was just kind of one of those things where some of the people who had a lot of the say and the money and the power were just didn't really want to make it a good bar, you know, they just uh, like, um, but yeah, the opening of Blacktail was definitely the first time that I really, really like stepped up into a full leadership role and like, you know, kind of put a program together in collaboration with the ownership. Um, I will say though, just to finish that thought, I had been offered m- multiple times before that to be a head bartender, but I always turned it down because I just, I felt like I had more to learn, you know, mm-hmm. and I just waited for the right thing. I think it's very important because in our industry, it's very easy to progress. 
especially like in a, a well-established markets like Europe, right? Because mm-hmm. in hospitality, by default, you've got a very high turnover. Mm-hmm. So it's very easy for you to progress, right? Yeah, for sure. Being able to progress only when you feel ready, mm-hmm. I think it's a skill because otherwise you end up being very, very useless at your job. Yeah, totally. How did you land the gig in Blacktail? Well, I was working at Dead Rabbit. Slightly backtrack. So from Booker and Dax, I worked at a bar called Dutch Kills, which was awesome. Oh, it's a mega awesome. bar. Yeah. yeah, I love that place. It was actually the longest bar I've ever worked at. Uh, I was there for three years. Oh. From Dutch Kills, I started working shifts at Dead Rabbit. Um, Jillian Vos, the head bartender, I guess she's like the director, the bar director now. She had just moved over there from Death & Co. She was the bar manager at Death & Co., we chatted and she ended up bringing me onto the team at Dead Rabbit 2013. Yeah, so I was, bar- I was bartending in the parlor at Dead Rabbit, the cocktail parlor. And it was like, I mean, Dead Rabbit's obviously still doing big things, but it was like the real like big heyday of like them being, you know, one of the best bars in the world. And, you know, I was there when we were just like <laughs> winning every award. It was just crazy. Like, you know, go to Tails, we'd come back with like three plates, three, yeah, four, crazy, three yeah. four plates, you know, like. So the Artesian uh, and, and the Rabbit years. Yeah, yeah, they were like, they were the kind of like back and forth. And, you know, Artesian was definitely the number one for, for we never overtook them while uh, while the guys were still there. But when they left, the Rabbit kind of stepped into the number one spot. But um, yeah, man, I mean, it was just. I was there at a very influential time for the bar and really was like part of that core team that got to some of those crazy heights. And Jack McGarry, one of the owners, he came to me one day, another funny little moment I'll never forget. And they, I think they were just like, they maybe had him and Sean Muldoon, the two partners Mm -hmm. of of Dead Rabbit and Blacktail. I'm assuming they had like just recently maybe said an affirmative yes to this what would eventually become Blacktail and Jack came up to me. I was just like setting up for my shift at I Rabbit and he's like, Hey, we're gonna be opening this new bar. Like, what do you think about going to work there? You know, it's very bartenderly sitting there polishing my tins at the moment and I was just like, Well, I do it for a leadership position. And it was funny because I just like I really saw the wheels turn in his head because he kinda like stopped for a second and he just like didn't say anything and he looked up and I just saw it all kind of click in his head and he was like, Huh, okay, okay. And he just kinda like scurried off, you know. And then, sure enough, like a week later, they sat me down to talk about the position. Speaking of the rabbit, were you working in that infamous uh, guest shift that Simone and Alex had? Was <laughs> I was not. No, that was before my time, unfortunately. But I definitely heard the stories, yeah, of them like bringing a dead rabbit and uh, like smashing bottles all over the back bar and stuff. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't have a first sound account for that, but I heard it was pretty epic. How involved was the ownership into menu developing the rabbit? I mean, oh, very, very. The Rabbit and Blacktail. I mean, it's basically the structure is with Jack and Sean, you know, they're the partners and they're, you know, they're the people that make it go. And, you know, something that was really refreshing when I, when I started working at Dead Rabbit, it was like, they were the owners and they were there every day, you know, and that, that makes a big difference, you know, because then you don't find yourself convincing ownership, like, hey, I really need this thing and they don't get it. Like they, they get it because they're there, you know? Um, so basically the way it works is Sean is kind of like the creative not creative as far as cocktails, but like more creative as far as like uh, the concept of the menus, um, the PR and kind of like social media aspects and, you know, the general direction of like high impact things they plan on doing uh, as far as media is concerned, where Jack is more kind of like the hands-on bartender who deals with the actual cocktail creation. Um, so, you know, like at this stage, Jillian would run the cocktail creation and then her final, you know, tastings will be with Jack and they'll, okay. and they'll kind of adjust things. And how was Black Day? How was the opening? 
Uh, that was the first gray hairs that I got were definitely <laughs> during the opening of Blacktail. I mean, it was it was crazy, man. Like, how do you open the sister bar to the number one bar in the world, right? Like, I mean, it's it's it was definitely a challenge that I was excited for and, and certainly willing to take on. But I mean, the pressure was very very there, and I mean, it, it's obviously. Uh, like anything, there's a good and bad side to it. It's good because you know people are going to show up. You know people want to see it. Um, I mean, I would say it's overwhelmingly more positive. I'd rather have people coming in the door to like see if they like it or not yeah, <laughs> than like exactly. trying to get them in to see if they like it or not. You know what I mean? Um, I very much so put the team together. I, I like. I had I had a very specific idea of the type of people I wanted to be part of the team. I didn't want the like super experienced super well-established bartender who's like always going to make the, the manhattan the way they want to make it i love those people many of those people are my friends but i knew i wanted to like build a core of a team that was hopefully stay there for a long time so i really shot for like that kind of medium experience you know kind of good attitude i wanted to have like a pretty even uh count of uh, male to female bartenders um, we started working on the menu, um, and that was a very intensive process. I think I worked on cocktails for the first black tone menu every single day for almost three months. Didn't take any days off. I was in there for at least an, at least an hour, if not more, just like working on drinks. It was a big menu, you know, it was like like fifty six cocktails or something like that. Um, and we had like what's our identity? We were researching old uh, menus from Cuba and the and the Caribbean, you know, from that kind of time period of the early nineteen hundreds. Deciding on glassware, putting the team together. The concept of the menu was being done by Sean, while the cocktails was, were being done by myself, Jack, and Jillian. You know, and it's just one of those things when you open a new place, it's like everything kind of just comes together at the last minute. I literally remember the day that like press was supposed to come in for our first like night at the press launch and the bar still had like scraps of construction on the ground. You know what I mean? And we're like, okay, like we got five hours. So we just like, you know, cleaned everything, got it ready to go. And like, it's just one of those things. Sure enough, like 10 minutes before they roll in the last thing, last like trash bins being taken out. Yeah. And it was, I mean, we opened with a bang, man. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, the queue just was out the door for, for a long time. Um, there's a lot of things to figure out from an identity, you know, that's just how it goes with a new place or any, any place that's going through change. You know, what are we, are we the parlor at dead rabbit, but in this larger setting, that's kind of a Cuban bar. Are we a live music venue? Are we like how fine of service do we want our food to be our cocktails, like so on and so forth. And it went through a lot of changes. I mean, the biggest one, when we opened, we only did seated service, but we quickly realized that Blacktail that it just didn't make sense. The space was too big and it really didn't feel alive unless it was kind of packed and uh -huh. moving around. So we got to standing service and that was a good thing for the guests because the guests liked it, but it was hard on the staff and the staff didn't like it as much because they felt like they couldn't give the level of service that they were expecting to give. But yeah, it kind of figured out and we evened out and, you know, mostly kept the same team for the first year and a half to two years. So it was good. But yeah, it was stressful. I mean, we were super busy. And then, like, for the next three months, you know, it really dipped and got really quiet. And I was, like, just, like, pulling my hair out. I'm, like, oh, my God, is this place not going to succeed? And then we won Best New American Cocktail Bar at Tales of the Cocktail. And that kind of was, like, a big lifter to, like, the spirits. And, like, we got we started getting super busy again around that time. And, you know, luckily it kind of just stayed fairly busy and just kept growing from there. Have you kept the same number of cocktails in the upper 40s, 50s? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did a we did a trio of menus, which I led the R and D for all of those. I don't know if you've ever seen any of the black tone menus. I mean, they're super beautiful, intricate. Um, yeah, so we broke it down by like five categories: style of glassware, um, from highballs, punch, sours, 
uh, old fashioned, so on and so forth. And yeah, I mean, we we change the cocktail menu almost entirely every year, except for some of our like, you know, obviously the daiquiri is not going anywhere, like our El Presidente, our Nacional. Um, but we would do a wholesale change and everything else. And we would also do seasonal inserts of eight cocktails, which wouldn't necessarily launch every season, but <laughs> it turned out to be more often like twice a year than four times a year. Okay. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, we basically kept the same amount of cocktails, same structure. And, you know, I think what the Dead Rabbit and Blacktail are known for with their cocktails are simplistic presentation and like garnish doesn't tend to be like super over the top, but like super layered drinks, with, like eight to 12 ingredients kind of thing. Um, where it would be complex to the complex palate, but approachable to someone who maybe doesn't know as much about cocktails. Do you think that, generally speaking, the trend with cocktail menus is to reduce the number of cocktails as much as possible? I mean, I think there's a balance to it. You know, in my mind, I think like the money spots right around 20 or so. Uh-huh. When I so when I first, a little funny story for you, when I first started training at Dead Rabbit, it was such an intimidating place to train at because, you know, obviously it, It had such a reputation at that time, and uh, we had 78 cocktails on the menu. Yeah, the menu is huge. 78 cocktails. Like, what the hell? And uh, I was training, and I was probably, like, I wasn't even two weeks in. You know, as these (laughs) things go, like, something happened, and, like, someone couldn't make it to their shift. So they're like, all right, like, you got to bartend. It's Saturday night. I think I had memorized at that point about 12 (laughs) of the 78 cocktails. And, of course, like, Sean, one of the owners, like, ends up just, like, sitting in front of me with some VIP guests. And I'm just, just, like, (laughs) sweat is just dripping down my face, like, all into my suspenders and my my red-collared shirt. Um, And, yeah, I'm just, like, I'm getting these dockets or tickets with, you know, eight cocktails on them. And I'm, like, I don't don't know what any of these are. Like, maybe I tasted one was, but, oh, man, it was brutal. I was definitely putting out drinks, like, it was, like, 25 minutes to get, like, Oh, for sure, man. Like, yeah, the server would put in the ticket. I was just like, bring them another welcome punch. (laughs) Please, (laughs) help me. They ain't getting these for a while. (laughs) You know, I'm like, okay, first drink. Type it in. All right. Two dashes absent. (laughs) Oh, dude. So if you open your own bar, then 20 drinks, that's what you think it's a sweet spot. Yeah, roughly, give or take. I mean, I think I think with 20 drinks, you can hit on just about everything. Like maybe you won't have multiple cocktails for someone who likes a Negroni, but you'll have at least one cocktail for someone who likes a Negroni. And then like, you know, that's where classics come into play. And I mean, mm. I think for any bartender who's been bartending for a while, you know, the old like get off my lawn kind of old man thing that bartenders used to do to me when I was young. But it's like you do got to know your classics, you know. And, like, if someone comes in, let's see, you should, if there's something not on the menu that you think someone, like, a style that someone might want, like, you need to have a couple of classics in your mind because it's going to come up, you know? Yeah, I think it's a huge difference because nowadays a lot of people are trying to compare bars to restaurants, but mm. when you design a food menu, you are limited to what you actually have. Yeah, While totally. With, with bars, you can make a huge number of cocktails with just a limited amount of ingredients, right? Yeah, very true. So how was it for you to step into management for Black Day? Because you said it was your first management gig, mm-hmm. right? It was a huge gig. So, yeah, yeah, totally. It was. It was. But, you know, that that's where it paid off to take my time, right? Mm-hmm. Because by the time I was stepping into management at Blacktail, I was like, okay, I, of course, like, there's always more things to learn no matter what you do. And the day you stop learning is the day you die, you know? But I had reached a point in bartending where I was like, I got this. Like, I am a really good bartender at a really good cocktail bar. I could step into about any bar and like confidently and competently work like i felt like at that point i was like this part as is mastered as i felt like it needed to be to take the next step i feel like if i hadn't gotten to that point if i had accepted the role at black till 
in some hypothetical world two years sooner, I would have crashed and burned. I would not have been able to handle it. I wouldn't have had the confidence to like lead a training for a team and to like, you know, put together a menu and feel like, all right, these drinks are good, you know? Um, Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a major challenge though. And I think what's always going to be the most challenging part of managing is managing the people, right? Yeah. Cause I mean, it's not, I think people see like the posters for the guest shifts or the, awards and this or that and it's like anything you know like that's just like five percent of it i mean really like the the grind is what you're really working with every day as a manager and you know through that through my experience managing there like i definitely made some mistakes i mean nothing i'd say i wish i could take back because they made me you know ready to take the position at atlas in the sense where like uh <laughs> i should have taken some friends some advice uh hiring friends is always a little tricky I probably I hired a couple of people who they were great for Blacktail, but um, I probably was a little bit too close and friendly with them to be their boss. You know what I mean? Um, so that can cause like a little bit of strife. But yeah, I mean, just learning how to, you know, some people need to kick in the ass. Some people need a hug. Like you just got to kind of figure out how everyone operates. You have to figure out how to motivate different people. You have to have the consistency in the culture of like what's OK, what's not OK. What are the steps to move forward here you know you got to control people's frustrations expectations you kind of like you know you become a parent and it's like you want to yeah. give it's like you want to give all your kids the world right like you you wish <laughs> you wish that every bartender on your team could like get to go on every amazing trip and like win every competition and and you know just be awesome but you know you got to you have to regulate expectations you have to, and it's just yeah i mean it was it was a learning lesson in, in so many ways in that sense but i would say that that was and still continues to be the most challenging part of management. When Blacktail opened, Dead Rabbit was sort of leading the global scene uh, when it comes to bartending. Right? Mm-hmm. Do you think that uh, them opening two venues diluted their media presence? Or? Yeah, I mean, this is a very real challenge we dealt with, you know, when we opened Blacktail. Um, so Blacktail opened in August 2016, mm-hmm. I believe. And literally, like, when we opened... I think World's 50 Best takes place in October, and that was the year that Dead Rabbit won number one in the world, right? So it was, like, kind of perfect. Like, Blacktail rolls out, Dead Rabbit wins number one. Um, we had won the World's Best Cocktail Bar a year before um, at Tails. Yeah. Um, Dead Rabbit was riding super high, but, yeah, I mean, so perfect example is at Tales of the Cocktail, the two awards that... Blacktail were top four for were world's best menu and best new American cocktail bar. And of course, like, you know, from my standpoint, amazing. Like, you know, we're, yeah. we're in our first year. We're top four nominees for like two pretty amazing categories. You know, I was very happy to walk around, walk away with an award. But guess who was also in the top four for world's best menu? Dead Rabbit. You know, so it's like then you start, of course, as you do, you start overanalyzing, like, I wonder what the voters are thinking and this and that. But it's like, you know, you're not going to vote for both of those menus. Mm-hmm. It's the same people, you know what I mean? And I'm sure I'm sure that this challenge uh, happened for American Bar and Beaufort Bar, you know, when there, there was yeah, a, sure. there was a time when they were both kind of competing with each other a little bit in certain aspects. Um, yeah, I mean, that definitely was a challenge, definitely something we're aware of. And I think it became pretty apparent that it was going to be really tough for you know Dead Rabbit to repeat number one and Fifty Best or anything like that. And what ends up happening too is you have so you have all these people that love Dead Rabbit, right? And then Blacktail opens and they check out Blacktail, and then some of them are like, I still love Dead Rabbit more. But then some of them are like, I actually love Blacktail more. And like we did have that, you know, we had regulars that became more Blacktail regulars than Dead Rabbit regulars. And so, I mean, it's a it's it's it just depends on how you look at it, like pretty amazing thing to have two bars into the same ownership in the top 50 in the world like 
you know, almost unprecedented. I think it's, it hasn't happened that many times, you know, Maybe like Nightjar and Oriole. Um, but yeah, I mean, they do, they, they give, they giveth and they taketh away from each other, I suppose. But yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to not have it a little bit diluted and not to have people have like a split opinion or like kind of pick one over the other instead of, you know, having them, they kind of like, they become a little bit separate, I guess, in people's minds, but they're still connected on the back end. But to be honest, I think the year where uh, Del Rabbit took the first dip in 50 best, it was still the number one non-hotel bar in the list. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. So at what stage did you decide that uh, you wanted to move from New York? Well, this is all pretty recent. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, w- I would say probably about a year ago. Um, that was like when the seed really started to like... When I, when I knew, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to make a move because I'm not going to be happy here in a year. You know what I mean? So, but was it like work that didn't make you happy or was it the city? I would say it was more the latter. Like I was more just, you know, I was more just ready to not live in New York anymore. Um, I love New York, but it is just, it's just, you know, it's a hard, it's a, it's a very tough place to live. The energy is very draining. It's super intense all the time. And as someone who comes from California, where like lifestyle is a little bit easier, I know that that exists in other places, you know what I mean? So, so I was, you know, I'm 32 years old now and, uh, it was just, I felt like it was time. It was time for a change of scenery. I planned to be in New York for a year. I ended up there for almost seven years, you know, and the things that happened in my career there were way beyond anything I ever imagined. You know, I thought I was just going to go out there and like have an opportunity to work with some good bartenders, but you know, I got lucky and ended up in some great positions, but yeah, it was, it was more that I, I was ready to move on from New York, um, as far as professionally is concerned, I was starting to realize that my time with Jack, Sean, Jillian, that group was coming to an end just because I had assumed, I mean, I worked with them for five years, you know, um, and we're, we're such, I mean, we're still family. Like the general manager of Black Till were like, you know, my work wife, Laura, she was the, she was a server in the parlor when I was a bartender. We worked together for many years. The director of education was the guy who I bartended next to, Jillian, who I worked with, uh, this girl, Jess, who's been the GM of Dead Rabbit. Um, she was my roommate and also someone I worked with. So it was like, we were just such a family. We'd all work together for five years, you know, with Jack and Sean. It's like, we've hugged, we've cried, we've yelled, we've, you know, we've had all these, you know, uh, crazy times in our relationship. And I always assumed that I was just going to continue to work for them indefinitely. Mm-hmm. You know, like my trajectory had been really good in the company. You know, I continued to move up and have more opportunities. But for the first time, I kind of realized I was like, you know, I think I think I've hit my ceiling here. I think I've kind of gone as far as I'll probably go here. And it was totally like the no nothing negative, nothing like because I didn't like someone or because something wasn't right. It was just that was where I was at. And that's where I felt. I felt that, you know, my next move just needed to be something different or somewhere different. So those things together, more so on the on the lifestyle and just like kind of leaving New York for, you know, sunnier pastures, if you will. But I hadn't made any plans yet. I just kind of I, I just knew it was like starting to set in and in my heart. And so I knew that the change was coming. How did you go about it? Like you haven't made your mind. So would you start just looking around or keeping your ears open? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I hadn't started looking. I hadn't started asking. I I just actually how it all really initially kicked off is um, you you may remember this, but there was a time when all the Proof & Co. people were just doing this massive social media blast about the Raffles Hotel. Uh And that was the first time. So I I had just so happened to go to Singapore on a work trip with Jack, Sean, and Jillian in uh, January 2018. And at that point, I was like, had no plans of like moving here or anything. But 
naturally a conversation with other expats who had moved here. It was just like, oh, what's life like here? How do you like living here? Blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, it's kind of like hearing what people had to say about it. And uh, yeah, so I was I was actually in Madrid. I was doing um, this like blacktail residency at a hotel in Madrid with Seagram's. And um, they, were, they were just blasting it. And I knew some of the guys from Proof. And so I just like shot a message on Facebook. I was like, hey, what's what's going on with this? I mean, obviously, you know, Raffles and the Long Bar are such, such a legendary place. And uh, they were like, are you asking for you or asking for a friend? I was like, well, I guess I'm asking for me, but I'm just like asking very generally. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, that kind of led to one conversation, led to another that led to conversations that led to interviews. And I kind of ended up interviewing for this position for a couple months you know, at first, just to kind of have the conversation, and then it got a little more serious, and it got towards kind of where I was like really having to think about what it would be like to move to Singapore. Um, and then I didn't get the job, and it was fine. I mean, I think at the time, my now ex girlfriend was probably like one of the only people who even knew about it. You know, I was just going on life as normal and, and running the bar. And when it fell through, I was kind of like, all right, well, wasn't meant to be. Singapore's not happening. Totally fine. Still kind of on my same trajectory of we'll see, like I'll finish 2018 and then like I'll really start, you know, looking to make a move. But, you know, one closed door leads to another open one. And I basically got a phone call probably about a month after that whole thing had fizzled out and was like, hey, uh, are you still interested in Singapore? And it was kind of like, well, depends, (laughs) you know. Uh, And then they were like, well, position of head bartender is opening at Atlas. And if you're interested, like we'd like to put you forward as a candidate. At that time, like I was like, all right, well, Atlas is obviously uh, doing really well uh-huh. and is an amazing bar. Um, I did visit when I was here, just like in and out, one round of drinks, and we went on to the next, you know, doing what you do when you visit cities. Yeah, thing, exactly. Yeah. And I started the interview process not really knowing if it was what I wanted, but I just kind of figured through the conversations it would become more clear, and, and it did. You know, I interviewed with the GM multiple times, the food and beverage director, ownership. Story short, you know, we came to terms and... Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> what attracted you to Atlas apart from the fact it's very well known? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think what most people know about Atlas is it's a beautiful space, right? Even after working there for the past five months, I still walk in there with like my head tilted back when I walk yeah, in. Wow. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah, so I knew what I guess most people might know about it that know things about bars. I knew it was like this beautiful art deco bar. I knew it was like gin focused, like champagne was kind of a thing too. But through the interview process... I got to know the owners, I got to know management, and I kind of, I felt like our goals and ideas in general were in line, and I was just down with the ethos and talking to other people around, just had really good things to say about a lot of the people at Atlas, and yeah, I just felt like it was a good fit, and like, kind of once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, I mean, one to, I mean, just to have the opportunity to be in Singapore is pretty amazing, you know, like, I mean... I could tell you for damn sure that neither yourself or myself, when we started bartending, ever thought we would be oh, running no, no, bars no, no, in Singapore. You know what yeah. I mean? Like crazy. Uh, and I mean, also just the the way that the world is trending towards Asia and food and beverage. And you know, when I did come here, when I came to Singapore and I left, I mean, there were some things that I really loved about the bars out here. There were some things that I thought like you know weren't my favorite. Like maybe you know, like standard of certain things just weren't what I was used to when it just comes to like classic technique and like things like that but I left inspired and 
hadn't felt like that in a while in the sense of going to some of the bars in the in the states like i it started to feel a bit formulaic like even though there are all kinds of concepts coming out and i but like i came out here and i was like whoa like every bar is so different like it's so ambitious it's so like out there there's like so many bars in singapore alone that are just nothing like any cocktail bar in new york you know and yeah, man, I mean, I was just massively intrigued. And I guess from coming to Singapore to this time in Asia to Atlas itself, it, it just felt like an opportunity that I couldn't miss. I couldn't pass up, you know. What do you think are the major differences uh, clientele-wise in between uh, Singapore and New York? Um, yeah, there, there, are, any, yeah. There, there are differences. Definitely the drinking culture here is different. People are way, <laughs> way more behaved. Like, <laughs> you know, like, like just reasonable. People will come in, they'll have a couple of drinks, they'll pay their tab, they'll go for the most part. Um, every once in a while, I've had to cut off a couple people, but even still, it still wasn't crazy. It was still just like, hey, buddy, like, come on, you've had enough. And it was kind of like, oh, okay, you're right. You know, <laughs> like it wasn't uh, like this fight. Uh, yeah, I'm sure New York is <laughs> similar to London. Because in London, like you have to kick someone out. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you got like half Nelson, night, like yeah. throw him out of the bar. <laughs> if you don't have a bouncer. Yeah. Something that I really appreciate here is drinkers are pretty adventurous. They're pretty open to like try different things, pick a cocktail on the menu. In New York, in in all the United States, no matter where you bartend, you're gonna make you know tons of vodka sodas, tons of dirty martinis. Uh-huh, uh-huh. There's always gonna be some business guy in a suit that's gonna sit down and just say scotch and soda, and not even look at the menu, you know. Which all those things totally fine. I I have no issue making someone a dirty martini. I have no issue pouring vodka sodas. I mean, hell, sometimes vodka sodas can be lifesavers on a busy busy night, you know. That said, though, it's it's just interesting. It's like at Atlas, I don't make that many vodka cocktails. Like I do make some espresso martinis, but I could probably count on my hands how many vodka sodas I've made. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just different here. And I think it's cool because the culture is so new. Whereas in, I mean, in Europe, it's probably even more challenging, right? Because you have people who have been drinking the same way for thousands and thousands oh, yeah. of years, you know. Over the wine. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you have some of that in the States. You do have some of that kind of like I drink what my dad drank. But here, it's just like people are really open and just like, you know. You had the chance to travel around Southeast Asia a little bit? A little bit. Well, the only other city I've been to so far in Southeast Asia is Bangkok. Loved yeah, it. Wild, yeah. I loved it. I thought, <laughs> I thought Bangkok was awesome. The service there is so like humble too. Like I love how when you greet, like the way you greet people in Thailand yeah, is you, hands. yeah, with two hands and you bow your head. It's just like, it's like, okay, so it just makes sense that like hospitality works here. Uh-huh. Um, flavors are amazing there. I was really impressed, actually. I'm going to give a little shout out because uh, I went to a bar called Liberation that had just fairly recently opened. Probably some of the best drinks I've had in years, just like balance. And I mean, it definitely plays towards my style. Like I like really like kind of clean, crisp cocktails, like simple flavors that just like match together. Um, And they definitely had that. And I was like, okay, wow, Bangkok, watch out. You know, they're coming up next, you know. Um, Went to Shanghai. That's obviously not in Southeast Asia, but, but in China and also awesome. I mean, just like a big major city. Definitely not. I mean, you know, they, they say here that uh, Singapore is like intro to Asia, right? Because yeah. English is the first language. <laughs> it's like, it's pretty, it's pretty Asia easy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, but you go to like Shanghai and you're like, all right, I'm in Asia now, you know? Like, <laughs> and I'm sure their cities are even way more like that. But um, the food, man, the food out here, I can't get enough of it. So good. But yeah, I mean, that's, I, I would say, honestly, I mean, it's all exciting, but the food, exploring the food for me has been like really fun. So where do you see Atlas going? Like, I'm sure you're going to develop a menu at this stage mm-hmm. or like, what's your vision for Atlas? Well, we are in the development process now. I actually just did my final tasting yesterday. So that, as far as the cocktails are concerned, 
they're basically finalized for the new menu. Um, we are changing the actual concept of the menu a bit. We're not going like crazy away from what it is, but spicing it up and uh, giving you a little bit more vibrancy and story, if you will. So yeah, I'm super, super excited about that. We'll be launching that in the summer. That's definitely been a huge focus as well as just training the staff to get us all kind of working on a, on a similar standard was very important to me. So made some big steps with that. Um, all the bartenders do like a technical training that they basically, it's like a three-part series, if you will, that starts simply with jiggering water and things like that. And then basically the final test is they have to make me a round of four cocktails, which I tell them what the drinks are. And then I just silently judge them <laughs> from there and, say, and take notes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and you know, senior bartenders have to pass it over 90%. Bartenders have to pass it over 85%. So just kind of setting the standard and saying that like, there should be a pride about working here. There should be a standard about working here. It should be like when you leave Atlas and work somewhere else, people should be like, oh, this is an Atlas trained bartender. That should mean something, you know? Um, so yeah, the culture, the new menu, we're also expanding a little bit. I don't know how much I'm supposed to say about that, no. so I'll, I'll, I'll just leave it right there. But uh, it's all going to be—it's still going to be under the umbrella of Atlas and still like in the same area. But we have some pretty exciting stuff coming up. But you know, man, you know, really, when it comes down to it, it's all about being the best version of ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. And that goes for Atlas as well. For every bartender and myself included, to you know, our food runners, um, our servers all of management, if we are the best versions of ourselves and Atlas is the best version of itself, then the sky's the limit. I mean, I think Atlas definitely has the potential to be one. I mean, I guess it is considered one of the best bars in the world. And I I think it it has the potential to do amazing things. And, you know, I'm just happy to be in a position to help with that and hopefully push us forward and just see what happens in the next couple of years. So you mentioned uh, some of the challenges you had when you started bartending. Would you tell us what tools did you use to your advantage? Tools-wise, what helped me, I mean, certainly the books, but also just like learning the basics and like tasting spirits. And I know it's kind of like the boring old answer, but it's so true. Like, just take your time. You do not need to rush. Like, learn things properly. Like, it, you gotta, you have to stir like a thousand martinis before you can nail a martini. It's just true, you know. Like, and I think it's just through re- through repetition, through humility, through learning and listening. I mean, those those were the best tools for me. Do you regret uh, moving here to Singapore, or are you still? No, zero regrets. I mean, it it was a massive change in my life. Obviously, I mean, I think the longest flight you can take in the world is New York to Singapore. You have plenty of time to reflect on your decision. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it was tough, man. I mean, you know, I was in a serious relationship when I left here and definitely that, that, that it took a toll on that. I mean, it's now that I've kind of done this before, it's different, obviously, but moving from California to New York and now New York to Singapore, like there is that loneliness. There is a little bit of a struggle in that. Luckily, we work in an industry that's like very inviting and warm, especially out here, like so, so supportive. And like, it's really, it's really refreshing, you know, have a lot of ton of great friends in New York, but New York's very competitive. Like it gets, it gets a little clicky in, in that sense. I feel like here was very, very welcoming right when I got here, but you know, there's, it's, you can become great friends with someone over a couple months, but it's still not the same as someone you've known for many years or like things like that. So that part, that part is a little tough. I mean, the transition of, you know, going into a new bar and stepping back, learning how they work and then trying to like implement the changes. It's just like, 
all of it's a massive challenge. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and tell everyone that like, oh, it's been easy. Like, yeah, just strutting the Atlas. Like I'm the man now. Like it's not, it doesn't work like that. You know, um, it's, it's way more humility than it is, you know, um, championing anything to start. Um, but I, I, I knew what I was signing up for. I knew that this first year was going to be tough. Uh, but you know, I, to be honest with you, I have not missed living in New York one day. No, I miss, I miss New York. I miss aspects of New York. You know, I miss, the pizza there i miss you know some of my regular haunts i definitely miss some friends and people i worked with but i was ready for something different man if it wasn't singapore it would have been somewhere else so i, I don't regret leaving have you ever considered going back uh, to san francisco yeah for sure man i mean for sure i mean i think had singapore not for lack of a better term kind of fallen on my lap uh i, I probably would have been looking to go back to california i don't know if it would have been san francisco or la but I mean, I think it's, it's no secret that, you know, there's a huge microscope on Singapore right now and Asia in general, Southeast Asia. So this is a great place to be right now. Have you ever thought about opening your own bar? I have. And I think like many bartenders and especially for those of us who maybe started a, a bit back when there wasn't so many different avenues to do in this industry, it was like, oh, I'm going to be a cocktail bartender and then I'm going to open a cocktail bar. Like that was just the natural trajectory. That said... Uh, the closer I get to understanding what it's like to own a bar, <laughs> <laughs> the less you yeah, want the less it. I actually want to do it. So I, I wouldn't say it's off the menu for me, but I don't think it's in the near future. I think I'm very methodical about my my professional process, and like I want to know everything before I take the next step. So I really want to have. I mean, I have so much more to improve upon from an administrative and um, operational side, and to learn. Like if I tried to open a bar tomorrow, I mean, I would just be learning so many hard lessons, you know what I yeah. mean? Instead of like being kind of ready for it. So, so we'll see <laughs> maybe down the road, but, but not right now. Cool. Last question I ask everyone, mm. which one would be your very last drink? So you're about to be executed. <laughs> is everyone about to be executed or I just, everyone else is like on an island. Yeah. I'm about to be executed. <laughs> uh, well, I got to go with the first thing that comes to my mind. It's a Negroni. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Are you just saying this because I'm here or? No, no yeah. <laughs> even though you put me in an electric chair. Um, no, man, I mean, that, that drink, I think, has just been my longest love when it comes to classic cocktails. And it's like, it's kind of like a, it's like, it's almost like a relationship, you know? Like, sometimes I get tired of it. Sometimes I've had enough, but I always come crawling back, you know? I just can't. I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, I feel like the Negroni is like the perfect cocktail. It's, you can have it before dinner, you can have it after dinner, you can have it in cold weather, you can have it in hot weather. I mean, obviously, I love daiquiris, I love martinis, but I gotta go to Grody. Cool, thank you very much for finding the time, Meg. Yeah, cheers, fun. Michaela. Yeah, appreciate thank it, man. You. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Jesse. You can find more content from us on YouTube and Instagram, where we post our hashtag HowToClassicCocktail videos. We are unjiggered underscore media on Instagram and you can follow our personal accounts at mmariotti89 for Michele, Alex J. Murphy for myself and Adrian Bessa for Adrian. Thank you for listening.